Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, those of you that are joining us via the stream, in case you're wondering what happens, uh, Pastor Dan counts us down. And I really thought when he got to about five, I'd just running out the door and leaving him hanging <laughs> to see what he would do. But uh, I didn't think that would be prudent. Uh, thank you for all of you that are in the room and those that are uh, joining us via the stream. We are in Colossians chapter three this evening. Uh, we stopped last week with verse 17, and we're going to go from verse 18 down through chapter 4, verse 1. Now, you might say, well, why would we, why would we, why would we just do one, uh, why would we just do one verse? This is one of those places where the, and, and I think all of you know this, that the original manuscripts didn't have chapters and chapter and verse divisions. That was added much later by scribes who wanted to make the scriptures, you know, indexable so they could index them. Um, and some of the places that they put the divisions are perfect and some aren't. And this is one of those some aren't occasions where verse one really is the continuation of the last part of uh, chapter three. So we'll go from uh, chapter three, verse 18 down through chapter four, verse one. Let me, uh, let me just say, before we even read this, uh, relax. This isn't as hard as you think it is, this scripture. We're going to read some scriptures, and they are traditionally some of the most, uh, oh, what would be the word? Not really contentious, but, uh, well, you, you don't want to talk about these unless you have to. Let's say that, because it's, it starts off with wives submit to your husbands. That's, that's what I'm talking about. But, but when you put this in the context of everything that we've been reading, it's, it's not contentious in any way. It's also not old, sort of an old standard, you know, wives. No, it's not at all. And when we, when we look at it in the biblical context that it's supposed to be in, it makes complete sense. Uh, and it's not troublesome in any way. And uh, so we'll do that in a minute. Let's read uh, tonight, uh, verse 18, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, uh, through chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to do something a little different. I've wanted to get back to my, to my Bible Bible instead of my electronic Bible. And uh, this one, which is my favorite, is a New American Standard. So a uh, little different version, not ESV tonight. But um, let's go. Let's read beginning of verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the word of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, Grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight uh, that your presence is always with us. Lord, this has just been a tremendous day. Um, I thank you, Lord, for your presence that has been so real with me today. Your word has been alive. Uh, Lord, I have... Uh, well, I'm in just preparation for the prayer and fasting, Lord, I've already begun to do some things that have already made your presence stronger and, and my ears more attuned to it. And I pray, Father, that as we move closer to Sunday, when we begin this uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting, that others, uh, they would also be uh, challenged by you and draw close to you and feel your presence. 
Let your word be powerful and alive in us tonight. We give you thanks and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, thank you so much for being here. If you're watching us via the stream, would you do something for me right now? Would you hit that share button? Go down and uh, hit the share and share this. You just, uh, you, uh, you just can't know all that the Lord might do if you, if you would do that. So thank you so much. Uh, let me give you a little uh, recap because we need to in order to set the stage again contextually for where these scriptures fit. Now, if we go back all the way to the very first verse of Colossians, and in fact, if we look at the theme of Colossians as a whole, uh, it is this, uh, this uh, counterpoint to some false teaching that had arisen among the, uh, the people in Colossae. It is, uh, it is an admonition to put Christ in the center of everything. Because of that, we believe that one of the things that was a central tenet to the false teaching that was taking place was that Christ's uh, divinity was being denied. And so we don't have a copy of that. We don't know that for sure. But we know from what Paul addresses some of the things that were being asserted by those who were teaching this false doctrine. One of the things in the process of doing that that Paul does is that he suggests this, this life in Christ, this consuming in all, through all uh, aspect of our relationship with Jesus that is, uh, that is just something that, that just won't allow us to have sort of a segmented life, but rather uh, that Christ is in all and through all and above all and that all of our life finds its fullest uh, fulfillment as we live it through Christ Jesus. Um, It's in that context, and and let me say this too, before we begin in verse 18, it's in that context of, and and we're going to even touch on this Sunday as we focus on prayer and fasting, Um, it's in that context of, and I I want you to hear this term, of willful submission to Christ, that in your own volitional mind, in your own uh, ability to choose, that you choose to serve Christ. You're not leveraged. You're not motivated out of fear. You're not abiding by some code of rules that the church that you attend has, uh, has imposed upon you. All of that is insufficient to do what Paul is writing about. This consumption with the things of God can only be done as you, out of your desire, not, not out of fear, not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, not out of tradition, but rather there is this passionate love for Jesus and for the Father, and that love, that consuming love for Him uh, touches every aspect of your life. Paul has written before this that you have gone from life unto death, that you have put off the old manner of things and you've taken on the new manner, this this Christ-centered, consuming life through which everything is seen. It is the lens that all of life is seen through. That's our context, okay? In that context, Paul says this, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, now, we're going we're gonna to build on this, but I want you to understand that if you, if you leave that verse in the context of a hierarchical um, 
um, church governing or governance. Man is the head. Woman is under man. How many of you women want to be a part of that? You will. Teresa, you're going to go home tonight and you're going to submit to Chris. Or you'll just not be the woman that God has called you to be. I'm, 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 going, I'm going to Heartland Baptist tomorrow. All right? I'm not saying that there's... that. Well, I am saying that that is not at all what this verse is saying. When you see it in the context of this willful service to Christ, this devotion to the things of God and love for God, that marriage as it's intended to be, it's easy to submit one to the other. Amen? You, you're doing it as under the Lord. I'm... I'm, I'm, and, and it's not this leveraged, fearful thing. It's also not, it is not primarily positional. He's the head. You, you're the rib. You're the, he's the head. You're not the head. I mean, I mean, it's, there's been so much of that in church history. And I don't even think that's what Paul is even hinting at. There is a, submission here, but it's not leveraged. It's also not demanded by the man. It is something that flows out of love for Christ, right? The reason that I say that is that in the, in the language here in Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, in the, the reason that I wanted to read this in another, um, in another version is that the sense of this is submit yourselves. Uh, it's not translated that way in the ESV, but that's in the, in, the, in the vernacular of the original language. Submit yourselves to your husbands. It's, it's what, if you look at the language, it's a middle voice. It's not, it's not first, it's a, it, and, and that middle voice conveys this, this, this decision that wasn't made by a set of rules and it wasn't made by a man, it was made by a wife. That this is something that the wife chooses to do um, because of this, this Christ-centered uh, devotion to the kingdom of God that touches every part of life. Now, we're not done with verse 18. We're going to look at some, some other things, but I just want you to see that at times past, this has been like the hammer that women got whacked with. And that's not what Paul is trying to do here. Um, all of this life or all of this call to life in Christ is from our volitional self. Is that an unfamiliar term? Uh, your, your volition is your ability to choose. All of life in Christ comes from your volitional self. You are not under compulsion to serve God. You are not made to submit to Christ. You are not made to love one another. You don't have to do, you don't have to do anything. We get to. You choose to. You, you, you fall in love with Christ. You fall in love with your husband. You fall in love with your wife. You fall in love with your kids. Kids fall in love with their parents. They, you, he, is, he is picturing the ideal here. Um, it suggests that this that this is an attitude that the wife enters into from her volition and not something the husband demands. 
that if he does, he's violated the second part and the second command here. It's done in the Lord. And I want you to see that. As is fitting in the Lord. If we go back, and I, man, I, this, this verse has captivated me. If you, if you have your scriptures, look back at verse 3 that we considered um, a couple of weeks ago. Verse 3 of Colossians chapter 3. For, Paul says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where you dwell now. You're in the Father. You're there because you're with Christ. The rights and the privileges and the potential of what that means, the, the authority that that might actually mean for us to live in God, with Christ, in the Father. It is out of that abiding. It's out of that love. It's out of that, it's out of that submission to Christ and the Father that this section of Scripture makes sense. Verse 19 says this, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul has written verses. Let me say it this. I don't know right now which one came first. It isn't the only time. Let me say it that. Because Ephesians chapter 5 has almost these exact same sentiments with a little bit more. And so I want us to look at them. Um, Colossians 3.19, husband loves your, love your wives, don't be harsh with them. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he said, husbands love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Uh, it's also there when he's, it's also in Ephesians where he says, submit one to the other. Bringing clarification to the wives, submit to your husband. So there is this, there is this ideal that Christ has for us through him. Uh, we're going to see that this touches the whole family. And in fact, we're going to see that it touches all of life. This submission, this service, this Christ in all and through all and in all. Okay? But once again, Ephesians 5.25, we are as husbands that love our wives in the manner that Christ loved the church. Now, if I ask you this question, you've probably heard this taught enough times that you'll know the answer, but maybe you don't. It, what was the expression of Christ loving the church? Paul tells us in the next half of that verse. What was the expression that we husbands are supposed to emulate? Love your wife as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. Um, some have inter interpreted that to mean you've got to be willing to die for your wife. N no. You've you got to be willing to give your life to and for her. And I don't know about you, but, but if husbands do that, living in submission to that is joy. If they don't, it's, it's hell on earth. All right? But that's, that's the ideal that, that Paul is writing about here. What's interesting about this, too, in, in verse 19... And in Ephesians chapter 5, there is no example in Greek, in Hellenistic writing. Uh, the, these cities were ruled over by the Romans. The Roman Empire had ruled the world. Much of these cities are, are, are Greek cities. They're Roman cities. The trade, the people, the education systems, the, the scholarship, all of that came from a Hellenistic place, came from Rome. 
philosophies and the way life was lived uh, were, were Greek. Uh, it was a Greek lifestyle in these churches, in these, in, in these, in these people's lives. And there is no, uh, there's no notable example in Hellenistic literature or in Hellenistic life where husbands were, I'm going to use the word instructed, to love their wives. This is a, this is a Christ thing for these people. This is a new thing for them. For us, we go, well, yeah, husbands are supposed to love their wives. But in that day, at that, I'm not saying that husbands didn't love their wives. It, it just wasn't taught. It wasn't seen, at least from what we can find. It wasn't culturally uh, expected that husbands would love your wives and lay their lives down for them. That's a, that's a Jesus thing that came out of Christ's teaching through Paul. Um, and it may even be, Ephesus was surely a city like that as well, and Colossa, this may have been a thing that Paul needed to address because they had no concept of it in that day. I'll give you a modern day example of this. Uh, 20 plus years now ago, when I first went to Panama, uh, no bay men didn't love their wives. At least you couldn't tell that they did. They had more than one. They didn't do anything for the children. They the women did everything for the family. The men, well, if you ask me, they were lazy, sitting around. Uh, I'm not trying to be unkind, but it was, a, it was a very different place than it is now. Polygamy was somewhat common. It, it wasn't something that we saw all the time, but it was, it was common to see uh, men with more than one wife. Older wife, younger wife, uh, first wife, second wife. That was sort of the more important designation. And the gospel started to be preaching even in the time that I've been there, and that became less and less common. And what you began to see was suddenly young men, certainly now, you never saw a man do anything with a child. He didn't help with the children. He didn't, you never saw a man carrying a baby or a young child. The wife would have, he'd be walking out front, and she'd be carrying a thing around her head with the groceries and a baby strapped to her front and a bag under, I mean, it was just I mean, it was just a little bit, it would make you a little distraught to see them carrying all this stuff. Now when, we, when, now when we're there, it's, it's more uncommon to see, it's more uncommon to see anything like that. The older men still have some of that, but, but you see young men walking, holding a three-year-old, carrying a baby, and his wife walking next to him. That's husbands love your wives. That's, that's the culture being lifted by the gospel, being changed by the gospel, certainly. So some of that is happening in the church in Colossae and Ephesians as well, in, in Ephesus as well. Because there's no emphasis in the Hellenistic world for husbands to love their wives. This is the new life of God. And once again, this is freely given, not leveraged. It's not commanded by some rule. This is something that comes out of the heart of the Father through Christ into believers. I'm going to make a really bold statement here. It's going to go crossways with some of you a little bit. I believe it. I believe it after 36 years of marriage. I believe it. That, that you show me two people who genuinely, devotedly love Jesus. Genuinely now. And I'll show you a good marriage. Because you can't, you can't be committed truly to Christ and 
Think only of yourself. Not try to meet the needs of others. Not try to be forgiving. Not try to figure out how to serve one another. And those are the things that make for a good marriage. Amen? I need a little more affirmation. Amen? Okay, good. I want to know that you believe that. Good. Let's look at verse 20. Paul expands this into some more of the family. Children, obey your parents. Let's just stop right there, say amen, and go home. All right? (laughs) Amen. 17th fundamental of the Assemblies of God we're writing today. Children should obey their parents. That's it. Amen. Um, This isn't really, now listen, this isn't really talking to little kids. If you, if you wanted to use this on your four-year-old and say, see that, you eat those beans because children are supposed to obey their parents. Well, okay, you can do that. But, but this isn't really written for little kids. This is written, written for, it's something that's supposed to be taught, it's supposed to, something that's supposed to be modeled. I'm not saying that it doesn't apply to little kids. Little kids don't have to obey their parents. No, that's not it at all. But you understand that a small child's not going to understand that nor are they going to understand what the impetus for this is. We're supposed to obey our parents, and that is supposed to come from what? Love for, ultimately, God. I love Him. I'm submitted to Him. I have to obey my parents. I have to care for them. I have to, out of my relationship with the Lord. Now, you say, well, you should do it anyway. Yes, you should do it anyway, but there's something bigger here than even familial connection. This is, and we're going to see that in a moment, that all of our life, children obey your parents in everything. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. Once again, there is this connection. Now, watch this. Parents, and we're going to read this in a moment, don't leverage your kids with this. You know, if you love Jesus... You do what I say. Well, how many of you at some point in time didn't do what your parents said? Anybody was ever a teenager? All right. Anybody other than me? I know, Pat, I know you didn't, but any of you others ever sneak out when you weren't supposed to? Come on, everybody that snuck out after you were supposed to be in bed, raise, I did. All of you did it more than 10 times, raise your hand, all right? How many of you ever told your parents you were going one place and you knew you weren't going that place? You were going somewhere else. Any of you girls ever wear something under what you were wearing intending to pull the top thing off after you left home? Those are the girls I was sneaking out with. All right? Listen. There... (laughs) The heart of rebellion is stored up in the heart of a child. Rebellion is stored in the heart of a child. Church children. All right? But the what? Rod of creation shall drive it out. That's, that's Bible for you there. But it, we all have a fallen nature. So this is not intended to be the thing that you lever your kids to get them to clean their room with. If you love Jesus, you have to do what I say. If you do that, you've, you've missed the context. This is instruction for people who love God. This is a call to devotion to his kingdom that then affects 
Every, as a husband, you're affected. As a wife, you're affected. As a child, you're affected. As a parent, you're affected. It is this consuming desire that God would be glorified through whom you are, through who you are, and every piece of who you are gets touched by it. We are moving into Sunday. You heard me talk about it. Uh, I'm going to do yet a, a, a Facebook deal tonight when I'm done with this. Uh, did one yesterday. I'm going to do one every day or evening, just just giving a little piece of it. But I want you to understand, and I want you to start priming your own pump in your mind and in your emotions for this. Um, I'm completely convinced that we are positioned at a unique time in history where God wants to do something through his church. I believe that. It's not just a rhetorical statement because of a strange season. I believe that. I also believe that that you and I can... Um, all right, I'll, I'll give you an example. There is an individual that I know, and they... Well, let me, let, let me change this story a little bit. Um, any of you have a favorite coffee cup that you drink coffee out of the same cup every day? Every day, the same cup? What's the inside of that cup look like? Even if you wash it, it's, it's brown, isn't it? It, it, gets, it slowly turns coffee colored. It can be clean and still do that. I think that's a little bit like what it's like to live in this world. You can kind of pick up the tarnish of this world over time, the cares of life, the, the worries of life. And I think the natural current flows us away from the things of God. It doesn't flow us towards it. And fasting, this, this idea in Colossians that there is this consuming life where, where every part of us is touched by the things of God, I think fasting renews that desire. I want to have every part of me touched by God's purpose and God's plan for my life. And that's what, what, what I believe fasting does. That's why we're going to enter into it. Um, and children, so now we've got wives and husbands and children all in submission to each other, all loving one another, all serving one another, and all of that coming out of love for the Father. We've now covered the whole family. Each part, influenced by Christ, cares for the other parts out of love as the highest virtue of the kingdom of God. Now, that's my own phrase. That love is the highest virtue in the kingdom. Why do I say that? Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 that we read last week says this. And above all these, remember the garments that we looked at? The, 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 or the Sort of the metaphor was like you put on these things. And then above all of those, remember compassion and kindness and those things? that above all of these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Already in this preparation for prayer and fasting, I have started identifying things that I've been trying to do in my own strength. I've been trying to cause something to happen or to know what to do or how to move or what decision to make. And, and, and I have suddenly just in the last couple of days, just stepped back and said, okay, Lord, 
I'm 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 never going to be sufficient to move your kingdom forward in my wisdom and my ability, but I will be in yours. So, Lord, I'm going to relax about these things, and I'm just going to wait and listen and press into you. You reveal to me what I need when I need it. And already there's this, this is kind of, ah, life is good, you know. I probably got more done today than I have in any single day in a month. Um, all of that flowing out of just this sort of rest that God's, he's got it. I think that's what Paul is calling us to. He, uh, he then goes on in verse 21, and he, he sort of flips it around. Fathers, you were supposed to do these things. Here's something that you're not supposed to do. Uh, and it's in Ephesians as well, Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And then he gives the counterpoint in Ephesians. In Colossians, he just says, don't, don't provoke them to anger. Uh, don't provoke them. But in Ephesians, he says, don't provoke, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. In the King James, it says, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. In the ESV, it says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them. I think in one translation, it says, don't exacerbate them. Don't, don't wear them out with and remember the context. This is intended to be this, this joyous submission. This, you, 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 you teach a child and raise them up, understanding the things of God. There's no promise. Everybody, think, everybody wants to take the truism that says, you know, raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. We want to make that a law. Uh, theologians call that a truism. This is what normally happens, but there's no absolute guarantee uh, we've all known somebody raised in the things of God all their life that rebelled and went away and was a prodigal and came back, and some that didn't. Um, but we as fathers are supposed to create an environment where this desire for the things of God becomes sweet, where the kingdom of God becomes, where the presence of God, where, the re, where our relationship with the Lord becomes so tangible to our children that they are drawn towards it. That our faith isn't just a set of rules, though we need to have parameters for our kids. That it's not just a you will or you have to, but rather they watch and they see the way that our lives are constrained by the things of God and then they, they are drawn to the Lord. There are lots of ways to provoke your children. You could be hypocritical. Say one thing and then live a different kind of life and provoke your children. You could put un, un, uh, unattainable uh, restrictions on them. You could, you could make your home be a place with no... I mean, there's all kinds of ways that this would apply to what fathers do. What we're supposed to do is love them. Let them see us love their mothers. Let them see us love other people and serve other people. Let them see the genuineness of our faith men so that they would be drawn to the things of God and find it a very palatable thing in their mouth. Um... Yeah, that's what we're called to do. Now, verse 22 uh, introduces a, a concept that, that if, if you're not careful, you can have the wrong impression of what Paul is saying here. 
if you read in the, uh, in the King James or if you read in the uh, um, American Standard, is that what I was reading from? I got new revised, new American. Um, the word slave is used. And in the West, when we use the word slave, we think of slavery at the, you know, that, you know, forced slavery, people stole from their land, brought here, forced into servitude. Terrible, ugly thing. That's not, that's not the concept that Paul is writing about. Um, in the ESV, uh, they're called bond servants. Now, what was that? Uh, these are Jewish people. These are Jewish people in service to other Jewish people. Um, you ever heard of the year of Jubilee? Every 50 years in the Jewish nation, the year of Jubilee. Year of Jubilee was a time that if someone, let me back up from the year of Jubilee and let's say that we're, we're 40 years into the Jubilee cycle and there are 10 years left. If someone amassed an amount of debt that they couldn't pay or they became impoverished for whatever reason, to an extent that they could not support themselves and their family, they could become a bond servant to another individual, to another family. They could go and they could put themselves in service to that individual. They could also place their land in service, their, their ancestral family land. If you know anything about the Old Testament and the allotments of land that were given to the tribes, uh, that was rarely and only under pretty unique circumstances sort of what we would consider sold to someone outside the family. The, those lands would have been kept in those, in those family groupings because the land was seen as the promise of God and each person, each tribe was given a certain allotment according to God's division of it. Uh, and it was intended to stay that way. Um, but when someone became impoverished or couldn't for some reason support themselves, they could go to someone who had the means and they could become a bondservant. Their land was often placed in service to them. And how far it was to the year of Jubilee determined how much that service and how much that land was worth. In other words, if I'm going to be a bondservant to Wayne and we're only 10 years into the Jubilee cycle, his family is going to have possession of my land for 40 years or until I can pay back my debt. Um, so the land is worth more if he's going to have it for 40 years and therefore I could, he could take on a greater part of my debt and my service to him is worth more because now I'm going to serve 40 years instead of maybe we're two years from the year of Jubilee because on the year of Jubilee... All the land was returned to the original families and all of the bond servants were set free. Okay? So that's the concept that Paul is addressing when, he, when the King James uses the word slave, when the American, New American Standard does, and what it calls bond servants. There is no biblical support anywhere for the kind of slavery that we saw in the United States in our past. Some have said, oh yeah, that's in there. No, no, it's not. People use the Word of God erroneously to support that. But that's not a concept that the Word of God makes possible. You can't steal somebody else's life for your own financial gain. Everybody say amen. Uh, people did, people use the Scriptures to do that, but it was a misapplication of servants uh, of Scriptures like this. Um, what's this saying? If you find yourself in that role, Paul says, all right, um, I got to find where I'm at. Bond servants, bond servants, verse 22, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, 
as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. What's this saying? All right, you're in this position where you are in service to someone. You're not, and let me me use a little more modern language because this has application to us as well. Uh, You're not the boss. You're the worker. You're the one who this person has contracted to serve in some way uh, their position, their life, their, their, their company, whatever. Paul says, do what you're supposed to do, not by way of eye service. What does that mean? Don't just do the right thing when people's eyes are on you. If you're that kind of person, you've missed what it means to be a Christ follower. Everybody understand that? Say amen. If you only do the right thing when you know you're going to get caught, then, then, then you haven't really been transformed by the things of God. If you take advantage of systems that give you unbiblical relief from working all day, doing a, a good day's work, earning your pay, you, you don't understand what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, pastor, that's not, that's not what being a Christian is. I've, I've asked Jesus into my heart. I've been forgiven. That's what it's about. I, didn't got that. I used to have a guy that told me all the time, listen, this isn't church. This is business. I mean, he was ruthless to people in a lot of ways, and it didn't appear at all Christian. And he would tell me all the time, look, this isn't, this isn't church. This is my business. And I mean, I beat on that granite head of his for years and never made a dent, all right? Um, no, you, you don't have a piece of you that God doesn't want to work through. Say amen. amen. You, you don't, you don't, you, you, you can't call foul somewhere. No, no, no. Listen, if I act like a Christian right here, I'm going to get taken advantage of. <laughs> Jesus said something about taking up your cross and following me. Yes. There will be times if you live out the Christian life, you will be taken advantage of. You say, but I got a right not to, this is, this is out of your volitional self. I'm not made to lay my right down. I get to lay it down so that someone hopefully might see Christ and see me live life different than the rest of the world does. All kinds of applications of that. But that's what Paul is saying. Bond servants obey in everything. So now he's touched on husbands and wives and kids and as parents, and now those in service to other people. He's touching all of life. And he says, listen, don't render your service only when people are watching. Rather, render your service out of fear of the Lord who sees all. Do what you do with sincerity of heart. Don't be, don't be one way one day and one way another. Be sincere in what you do and do it. Like the Lord is right there watching because he is, all right? I get people every now and then that ask me questions like this. Pastor, if I, if I, if I overlook that offense or if I forgive them, they're going to get off scot-free. <laughs> Just because you forgive them and you extend grace to them, they still have to give an account to who? To the Lord. And I assure you, he knows more than you know. 
And you say, yeah, but he'll be gracious. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want he's going he's gonna to forgive them. And they deserve to be. Now, now, you've, now you've assumed a role that you're not qualified to be in. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not yours to account back punishment to someone. But they deserve it. Yeah. How many of you snuck out again? Yeah, you did too, didn't you? Anybody ever had anybody really be gracious with you? My, my kids are, one set of kids are getting ready to move to Florida, and I don't want them to go. I'll be honest with you. I'd, more than once, I've thought about ways to mess it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, they got to get a house ready. They got to get one car fixed and get all the stuff ready. This all happened really fast, and, and they're really not in a position to have it happen as fast as it's happening. And I thought, I can, I can just drag my feet because I don't want them to go. And then we do this prayer and fasting thing and messes that all up, <laughs> all right? And so... After I get done tonight, I'm going to put struts and shocks on a car. Why? Because that's who we are. Amen? It's not about us. It's, it's got to, you know, I'm going to hide their grandkids, my grandkids. They're not, <laughs> while I'm working on that, Leanne's taking the kids and going to Colorado for a month. But hey, <laughs> no, Listen. And I'm not, guys, I'm not always a great example. I'm not. I, I just don't have your stories to tell. I only have mine. But I struggle with this too. Lord, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to give. I, I don't want to forgive. I don't want to, I don't want to serve. And then the minute the presence of the Lord is renewed in my thoughts or my mind, he instantly identifies that. Paul has called us to that. This is who we are. Say amen if you get it. It's, it's what it means to be a Christ follower. Um, and then, so we went, we went family, dad, mom, kids, a husband, wife, kids, servants, workers. And then Paul says, okay, I'm just going to throw the net so that I catch every piece. And in verse 23 and 24, I put these together because it, it just works better together. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do at the church, no. Whatever you do, there's no qualifier there, is it? Whatever you do, work heartily. That's for the Lord and not for men. Mow the grass like you're mowing in Jesus' grass. I mean, study like you're studying because God asks you to. Um, cook like you're cooking for the marriage supper of the Lamb, ladies. I mean, um, fold laundry like you're folding the Lord's laundry. You don't have to make the bed, but everything... No, <laughs> Lord don't care about that. Um, be, the, be, be the best attorney... Jesus has ever had 
Be, be the best preacher. Be the, are you with me? Be, fix tractors like they belong to the Lord, Danny. You know what I mean? Wayne, I got no idea what you did. So whatever it was, I hope you did it. It's under the Lord. All right. You with me? What? Okay, good. John, you got to be, you got to be a fireman as under the Lord, man. Sell houses like Jesus would sell them. Uh, everybody, we get it, right? Understand? Whatever you do, work heartily. as for the Lord and not for men. Why? Verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I'm, uh, I'm still in awe that he chose us. Some of you, I get why he did. I really do. No, I mean, you, you've got just a naturally sweet spirit about you. You, you, know, some, you know, some of you, I just don't think you've... I mean, you, you needed grace, but not much. I mean, just a little bit. Um, any of you ever wonder why the Lord saved you? Amen? I think there ought to be a gratitude, and it ought not ever leave. There ought to be a thanksgiving. There ought to be a love. There ought to be a devotion. There ought to be a, there ought to be a constantly, constantly enforced desire to get up in the morning and please the Lord that day in what you do and in who you are. Why? Because one day there's going to be an accounting for all of that, and there's going to be a reward for those that have loved the Lord and have served Him. You're serving the Lord. Uh, let me ask you a question for a second. I made a note right here to ask you this question. You ever think about how the, how the Lord, what the mechanism is of the Lord's blessing? You ever think about how he, is it always, it's not, by the way, but, but I, th- I think sometimes we think that it's always supernatural. I, it, I think the Lord's at work but I have yet to have a bag of money fall out of the sky and land in my yard. Any of you? I have yet to... I've seen some supernatural things. Yes, I have had supernatural blessings. But I think sometimes the blessings of the Lord are lined up in a way so that it is in your devotion to Him that you walk into them. Does that make sense, Carol? I think it goes right back to that verse we were talking about. If you do, if you do in your career, if you're just and you're faithful and you're right and you do your best and you work hard, those those blessings. You walk. You just walk yourself into the blessings of God. The steps of. Oh yes, yeah. Where where you needed a miracle and God, you know, you, you go to the mailbox and. Oh, Jesus, where was that? I, was, I did a podcast today. Any of you, they, they were on the podcast, there was a, a list that I found of things, small things, and most people find joy in small things rather than big things because big things don't happen that often. That most people find everyday joy in small things. And they listed the top 10 things that people find joy in. And one of them was finding money you didn't know you had. You know what I mean? You ever do that? You put, put a 20 in a pocket somewhere and you, you know, I've had honorariums like I preach somewhere and I put a check in a coat pocket and then I don't wear that and I forget. 
I've even had some that I've remembered that I got it, but I can't remember where I put it. That, that's a, duh, where is it? I know that thing somewhere. Can't find that check. And then I've had it like six months later. You put on a coat, you go to reach in, you go, what is it? And you go, ah, ha, ha, ha. I feel like, feel like you're not crazy and you just found $100. You know what I mean? I think there are those moments like that. But listen, I think, I think the, I think there is a, and this would be a great chapter in a book somewhere, there is a connection between loving the Lord and following his ways and walking into his blessing. We, we sort of want, we sort of think of God's, not always, but more often than not, I think people get themselves in a bind by walking outside of the things of God. And then they, oh God, would you bail me out? Bless me, bless me. And there are times when he does, when what he really wants to do is have you walk in the fullness of his presence all the time. And the scripture says from glory to glory, to walk from blessing to blessing. You're not supposed to walk out from under the blessing of God. Little analogy that I use that's just completely unbiblical. It's just made up. I like it though, all right? You ever, and maybe not really, <laughs> The scripture says about the children of Israel that, they, that there was not just a pillar of cloud that they followed by day and a pillar of fire by night, but the scripture also talks about a covering that went over them. I don't know if you thought about it, but if you walk around the desert for 40 years, having a covering would be a good thing. And I've often thought about the fact that if, and this is why it's not biblical, because I can't prove the shape of it. There's nothing that, but if the, if the people of Israel were a big column of people walking, and there was a big rectangular covering of cloud. What happened when you walked out from under the covering of God? You got what? You got sunburned. You got burned. It's the same way today. You walk out from under God's presence, you're going to get burned eventually. All right? See how that's not biblical, but it is pretty neat to think about. All right? That's why I don't, that's not theology, theologically astute. But listen, if you walk, Walk in the ways. Do what you do hardly as unto the Lord, not unto men. Do your best. Even if the world rains on you, and listen, just because you do your best as unto the Lord doesn't mean you always get rich. Doesn't mean everybody's going to love you. In fact, there are going to be some times when there are going to be some people that aren't going to love you because you did walk in the ways of the Lord. And you may even lose some things because you walked in the ways of the Lord, but not for long. The Lord's, he, he keeps good books, amen? And he blesses those who walk in his ways. But it's not normally bags of money falling from heaven. I think he blesses us in the course of our lives. And if we walk in his ways, we walk from blessing into blessing into blessing. What happens if you don't? Verse 25 says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. God's keeping good records. You don't have to pay out vengeance. You don't have to be the sword of the Lord to, to, you know, to bring judgment upon the evildoer. That's not your job. God, God sees, and short of his grace... There is always a penalty and a punishment for wrongdoing. Amen? One more verse. Um, 
And he covers it all. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Why? Because you also have a master in heaven. This goes right back to the idea of forgiveness to me that why do we forgive? Because we've been forgiven. How do we, how do we display grace to those that don't deserve it? We recognize that that's who we were when God's grace was displayed to us. How do we persevere in difficult times? Because our Father is long-suffering, and we've provided difficult times for Him at times. Um, and as those who are in positions of authority over others, never forget that there is one in authority over you. Nobody is the ultimate boss here. Um, and because we all understand service, what does it really hurt? What does it really hurt in a structure for one that's above to serve one that's below? That's who we're called to be. And uh, uh, let, me, let me give you one more little nugget that I like to think about. Um, and I think this has the most pointed application in marriage but it also, I think, applies to any, any, uh, any position of leadership that you find yourself in. Um, leaders are the ones who, who heads turn to hear what they have to say when they walk in the room. That's the way I usually identify the leader. Who's the man or the woman in this room that when that individual speaks, it's like, remember the old E.F. Hutton commercial? When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. In every room, there's somebody like that. When they speak, other people. And it's just, I think it's the, uh, it's, the, it's the mantle of leadership that God places on people. You might even say it's the apostolic anointing. You can use different terms for it. But in my mind, in my theology, and, and I think it comes right out of the Scripture, that one of the roles of that person and this is so rarely seen in the world. They're supposed to be first in a lot of ways, but not in the way the world suggests it. I think they're supposed to be the first one to serve. They're supposed to be the first one to sacrifice. They're supposed to be the first one to forgive and the first one to demonstrate the attributes of, of godliness. If you are in, if you're a Christian, and you're in a position like that, and you're not availing yourself of those firsts, I think you're missing out on what God's called you to be. And you're missing walking into a blessing. Um, all done in submission to the Father. That's what Paul's writing about in Colossians. All of it done because of our connection to Him. And it's so rare in today's world, it's a great witness to those that don't know Jesus. Amen? Father, we love you tonight. We bless you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that it always presents to us, Father, in this hour that we've had tonight. And Lord, certainly in the time of preparation, you convicted me greatly over some things, and I'm thankful for it. Lord, you always correct your sons and daughters. Uh, I want that to always continue. So let your word speak. Let it mold us and shape us into the people that you have called us to be. Let it also encourage us to know that Oh, Lord, we are still in process, and you are working out a great thing in us and for us. 
It's good to behold your work in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Bless each one of these tonight. Pour out your spirit upon them. Uh, we pray particularly for Pastor Dave uh, in the loss of his mom. And we just pray you'd surround he and the family and his sister, Lord, and her family. Uh, watch over Dave Saturday as he does the funeral for his mom. Uh, speak to him. Uh, use him to touch others for your kingdom, even in this hardship. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, have a wonderful week. Be blessed.